0: This is yeah. not about reaching across the aisle. This is not about making friends and making nice nights. They need to be crushed. And those who have collaborated with them need to be banished.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Vituation Room podcast live I am your host, still here, uh, still hanging on, Francesca Fiorentini. I hope you guys are all okay in this bonkers week, in this hellacious, um, you know, Dante was a bitch, you know what I'm saying? There are way more rings of hell than just nine, was that what he said? Anyway, the point is, whatever ring, uh... Whatever farthest ring you can get from goodness, we are in that place. And that's why we're here. We are here to hold one another, to make one another laugh, to make one another think, to do some good left analysis and to get in some corny dad jokes. Like everybody here, I've I've had like every emotion this week. There's been elation, fear, rage, um, guilt, arousal, solitude, despair, hope. We might have a second impeachment on our hands. Um, this is the deadliest week for COVID. Uh, and I'm sure we all have loved ones who are being impacted. I know I do. Um, that's why we're here. And we have such a good show for you today. Uh, writer and organizer Bill Fletcher Jr. is here. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read his work or don't know who he is, you're in for a treat. It's going to get good. And of course uh nato green is here and i will bring him in 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 just a moment but before i do please click the like button if you're on youtube click the like button or the share button or the heart button or the i don't know the little like link uh zelda tokens on twitch is that a thing um and, and let people know about this stream, let people know that we're live. Um, also, if you're listening as a podcast, hey, give this podcast five stars. That is so wonderful. Helps people discover the show, and I read every single review. They've been lovely. Thank you. Uh, also, the Bituation Room has a Patreon, you guys. That's right. Popping MPs on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Bituation Room. You guys have Really answered the call. 48 people, nearly 50 people have become patrons in just a week. And I'm so happy we have a goal on there. I think we can meet that goal. We're trying to make this show sustainable uh, for the people who work on it. Again, we are a small team trying to grow, trying to make this easier so we can have more bonus content like Wednesday's uh, emergency uh, bonus content with Matt Lieb and myself, uh, which was quite fun. Um, And I did not put that out as a podcast For all you listeners, I apologize Because the audio was kind of effed And you all deserve better Um, But if you want to check that out Definitely do, it's on the YouTube uh, Platform slash Franny Fio, but thank you to all those Patreon subscribers Patrons, that's what they are Uh, I'm going to just give a big shout out To everyone who has become a patron At $10 or more Being part of that Franny pack Here we go here we go, get hype, get hype. Thank you, William L, Chris N, Jolie H, Ed M, Trash Buddha, Little M, Peter H, John L, Eric D, OCMC, Open Minded Mail, Shelly M, Todd R, Frederick V, Luke W, here we go. Kevin O, I feel like I'm getting a a bachelorette party started, or like a, like some bad bat mitzvah. Kevin O, Mike F, Jesus G, Don V, Chucky P, Nicole D, Greg G, thank you so, so much for being patrons. We love you. I wasn't going to stop the music then, but, woo, Oh, I got excited. I got excited playing all that music. Um... I also wanted to say that I'm going to be skipping what I am personally bitching about today because I want to get to this interview with Bill Fletcher Jr. And I want to talk to NATO about everything we saw this week. Um, But I want to warn you all or let you know that Newsbroke, which is the news comedy show that I also host on AJ Plus, is coming back for a very limited run in January. So I'm going to be funneling all of my thoughts on the Republican party and the democratic party, uh, into a video and an episode that will come out next week. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, it's this show and he is a comic writer union organizer. His comedy albums, the NATO green party and the whiteness album are available now on Bandcamp. He's a regular contributor to the bugle podcast, as well as the habituation room. Please welcome Mr. NATO green.
2: What the fuck? Uh, this week is bullshit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For me, as a person, as a political comedian, as a someone who's involved and has to do analysis, there's 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 too much. There's too much. Uh, too many things happen. It, it was it like I felt like like if you were, I know you you are, but I was like on Twitter on Wednesday as shit was going down, and it was like like the there's just too much content happening, too much oh, news yeah. happening too quickly. Oh, yeah. Like this. I've been saying this for a while, like since Trump was elected. It's been a speed up in my job as a comedian. Like yes. it's like the assembly line is just like going faster. I'm like that that uh like I love Lucy episode where she's eating the chocolates off the conveyor belt. <laughs> it's just like this is I'm gonna die. Like I'm this <laughs> the trying to comment. That's my favorite joke of yours. As yeah. as things are happening, like this is gonna cut my fingers off. It's fucked up. Uh I'm gonna like I actually threw up my back this week. <laughs> it was the so, the week was so bad i had to like sleep with a hot water bottle uh just trying to keep up with this you know untenable working conditions they say that like meat packing plant workers are the biggest victims of the covid crisis but i think it's political satirist because it's untenable True. it's unsafe quite frankly um
1: NATO like, texted me on wednesday night in just one line which was i'm going to have a heart attack
2: <laughs> it was like it, like at one point on twitter i was looking and it was like like the the just the feed was coming so fast, it was like like all possible takes were occurring, being tweeted at the same time. Like we reached the singularity of takes, where it was like <laughs> Schrodinger's take, where like all every possible take was occurring simultaneously, take. Like, was occurring simultaneously at a, such a rapid pace that it like just resolved into a single like white noise of takes, which was obviously a bit anyway. I think you just
1: described the here. left.
2: Yeah. Here you go. A
1: single, a single white noise of takes. NATO's now taking a, a sip of a of, of a cocktail. NATO, what are we drinking tonight?
2: Tonight we're drinking a drink uh, called the flamenco from the New York uh, bar Death and Co. Uh, it's uh the flamenco cocktail. I got a bottle of nice sherry and I wanted to use it in a cocktail. So this mixes sherry, orgeat, gin, lemon juice, and orange juice and bitters. It's it's, it's nice.
1: Ooh, I don't know. I'm not really a sherry person.
2: Uh. ¿Has visitado a España?
1: Uh, sí, pero not one I could drink, I don't think.
2: Yeah. ¿Y no probaste el sherry oloroso de, de Andalucía?
1: Oloroso? Just yeah. the smelly sherry?
2: There's, there, there's the sherry different oloroso. kinds. Olor, olor, oloroso y amontillado are the different types of the sherry. The mounted
1: sherry and the smelly sherry. I'm going yes, with right. mounted on that one.
2: You know, uh, speaking of dad jokes, when 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 i was in uh in cuba my favorite jet dad joke that i made all the time uh uh which nobody enjoyed ever ever not one time oh, was please this-
1: tell it on this show yeah. with limited time
2: yeah the the <laughs> spanish uh suffix oso is like a lot you know like oloroso is very smelly but yeah. oso also means bears yeah so uh so someone would be like oloroso and i'd be like see sí, el olor de los osos um <laughs> <laughs> yes, smells like bears, definitely. <laughs> and people were like, what are you talking about? That type of wordplay does not track <sighs> in Spanish comedy.
1: No, it definitely it, doesn't. In Cuba. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like the Spanish might be into that one. Yeah. Um, you know, no disrespect to Hilaria and toda su familia. Um well,
2: how do you say in your language cucumber? <laughs>
1: Cucumber. Uh, <laughs> she, said, she said cucumber, right?
2: Uh, Como se dice pepino? Uh, yeah. Um,
1: all right. We're not talking about Hilaria, even though we really could and should do a bonus episode all on that because I'm not done with that storyline. But we are getting into this week, this week that somehow we still can't get out of, as someone said last week in on wednesday the 37th day of december is when it all went down december 2020 because it seems like we can't leave 2020 this is the week where um this was the week where Thousands of boat dads and their proud boys, QAnon influencers and Karens, radicalized by Facebook, flew to D.C. to stage an armed yet very disorganized coup that ended up killing five people. It was a day that resembled the episode of Game of Thrones, the long night, only if the Night's Watch were actually helping the zombies get beyond the wall. Uh, what are they called? Not zombies. The um, oh yeah, walkers. the Walkers. Yeah, the white privilege walkers. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and yet, even with the assists of the president and his advisors, some Capitol Police, former military and current elected officials within the mob itself, the attempted revolution was unsuccessful. And yeesh, there is nothing more embarrassing for an American empire in decline than a f- than failing at a coup inside our own country. Like, it just feels like the world is looking at us like super judgy and disappointed. And we're like, oh, my God. This never happens. I swear. just give me another chance. <laughs> and we might get one.
2: Um you know you you mentioned the white walkers and I and I and it, what it brings to mind is that the the mob that attacked the capitol is also like the white walkers in the sense that both of them have difficult uh, uh, both of them resort to violence because they're not good at talking about their feelings
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Can you imagine we just said that we should really. I mean, I feel like some people are trying to just psychoanalyze them. Like, what the White Walkers in Game of Thrones really needed were just someone to sit down, lay them down on a couch,
2: yeah, and let like them talk the, about their dad. Seven thousand New York Times reporters going to sit in the White Walkers' diner to in the middle of nowhere in the in the in the, in the above north of the Wall <laughs> to talk about <laughs> the opioid crisis in the White Walker community.
1: <laughs> north of the Wall.
2: North of the Wall. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, what a, f- God damn it. I have to say though, mm. um, I'm, I'm glad Wednesday happened. I'm relieved in mm. some ways because like for four years, you know, uh, uh, the left people of color, um, Jews, uh, have been like sounding the alarm about like, man, this looks a lot like fascism. They could really like do something, you know, they, they're good. They could really try to overthrow the government and impose fascism and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, you know, and so it's like, it. Uh, I'm glad it happened, partly so that like now, you know, the masks are off and it's going to be harder to just go back to like Joe Manchin, like in the spirit of bipartisanship, let's all move forward and whatever. But also like, you know, I don't want to feel like I put signal on my phone for no reason, um, <laughs> you know, true. like that I that I like Im- adopted all these security protocols in case of fascism and then just like all, you know all dressed up and nowhere to, nowhere to coo. You know what I mean?
1: Um, and
2: and then also like, uh, um, the, 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 the people who did it are, you know, a lot of people are scared about fascism. I'm scared. I'm not that scared about them succeeding. And here's my rule of thumb, Francesca is, Mm -hmm. uh, is ask a Salvadoran. Um, it's so important to have Salvadoran friends because uh, like people are always like, this seems really bad. It seems like the government is about to murder everybody. And like, this is, I, I have Salvadoran friends. And this is my rule of thumb is like, don't get scared until the Salvadorans are scared um, because they have seen the worst violence this, this country has to deal. Uh, and then also um, the people who attack the Capitol are white supremacists and, you know, Supreme is in the name. And it is hard watching the footage of them to figure out what they are supreme at. Uh, Because, you know, somebody got trampled to death while literally holding a flag that said, don't tread on me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like you saw, except for, I mean, there was the one, the one guy, the Q shaman guy, Mm -hmm. you know, from Arizona um, with the, with the fuzzy hat that people saw and all the Nordic stuff. Like, uh that guy at least had abs you know what i'm saying so like arguably like like if he said you know to me like i am the that he was the master race i'd be like well compared to me yes clearly like but obviously like you have abs but um but you know like they're not they they, they were it's a pretty disappointing version of supremacy is what i'm trying to say it's a bit of a letdown
1: oh yeah no shit uh Yes, indeed. You would expect that once they got there, they would actually like have had been able to coordinate a plan. Look, I don't believe in their tactics. I don't believe in that kind of violence. But if the left were in the same situation, I feel like we would have been able to make some demands. You know what I mean? Like I'm just saying they weren't as organized as maybe, you know, uh, I dream to be one day, but, um,
2: it well, it wasn't just it just felt like like bring your Nazi to work day. You know what I mean? Like uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> every every Republican senator and Republican lawmaker was paired with a Nazi. It was like the right. uh, the upside down version
2: sister not. It was like the time the time <clears throat> once I brought my kids to a to a comedy club because they wanted to watch me perform. Oh god, yeah. And I let them go on stage before the audience came in. And I was like, Okay, here's a microphone, you're on stage, what do you want to do? And they like didn't and they just got there and stood on stage and looked around and were like, uh, "We didn't think this far ahead." You know what I mean? <laughs> so then they just like sang the Frozen soundtrack and called it a day. Like that's it felt like that, but also with murder. So it's a very very confusing.
1: Um, I like that. I think you should add that to your to your uh, bits bits. Yeah, to your set. My stick, as people your call schtick. it. I haven't done stand-up in so long. Mind you, I just want to move on. This was the same time, at the same time, the same day that lawmakers were trying to stage a parliamentary coup and prevent the certification of electoral college votes despite it finally being certified in the middle of the night, basically. 127 Republican lawmakers voted to overturn the electoral college results, including senators like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, who are clearly auditioning for America's next top MAGA. And I got to (laughs) say, Sedition aside, watching Ted Cruz squish his titties together to try and get the MAGA vote is both disgusting and incredibly entertaining. <laughs>
2: uh, yes, uh, I, I don't. I don't like to. Uh, I don't like to make fun of how people look generally. Sure. But I will say that whenever I look at Ted Cruz, he does look like. Like in at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they open the ark and everyone's face melts, he his face always looks like the first second when people realize that their face is melting, um, <laughs> <laughs> like before it's fully melted, but like the be- just the very beginning of the melting process. Um, yeah, yeah
1: you get from Ted Cruz down to McConnell, It's like this is like the one after McConnell. Like definitely is losing the skin from right underneath his eye. You know, like that's where it starts to melt.
2: That's right. Yeah,
1: right underneath the eyeball. Well, there was not all dark news this week, of course, because the same day, the same day, exactly. This was the week where, thanks to the work of grassroots organizers and people knocking doors, making calls, writing letters and donating millions of dollars in cash, Democrats won both Georgia's Senate seats. And I bet John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock can't wait to be assigned offices in the Capitol building. You know, uh, on second thought, um. let's just like wait to move you know (laughs) you know telecommuting is good just uh like look the capitol building right now is like a one-star airbnb you know let's let's give the cleaning staff some time to just mop up all the blood you know (laughs) uh you know wait it out
2: um i think i mean uh, you know asif i'm less excited about asif feels like you know, the first major election one, like there's been this whole proliferation of like like 30-something white guy, like Obama impersonators. You know what I mean? Like, you know how... If you're a comedian, like you can you can figure out you can like sit in the back of the comedy club, and over time you're gonna be like, Oh, everyone's talking like David Tell, and then suddenly, like, oh, now everybody's talking like Louie or whatever the thing is. Whoever's right. the hot comic, now everybody's copying that person. And so Asif and like Mayo Pete and Beta O'Rourke are all like, there's not a red American blue America, there's a blah blah blah. Like they're all trying to do that bit, but without yeah. like having done the reading. Um, Warnock is act, like, you know, uh the, the guy from the same church as Martin Luther King uh, becoming the senator, like sometimes, and I'll be interested to hear what, what Bill Fletcher has to say about this, but there's, people are like, um, you know, they're, it's, people are always trying to understand, like, how do we locate ourselves in history? Like, has there or has there not been racial progress? Are mm-hmm. things getting better or not getting better with regards to racism? And for the young people who are watching or listening right now, just to put in perspective, the state of Georgia just elected a progressive black man as as the senator from the state of Georgia for the first time. And when I was younger, when I was a kid, there was a movie called Soul Man that was made. <laughs> And it was about a rich guy who got into Harvard, and his dad told him to pay his own way. And so his solution was to put on blackface and steal a scholarship uh, for actual black people in order to get into Harvard, because that was the only possible way he could think of to pay Harvard tuition.
1: My Uh, God! And
2: the arc of
1: why we're so poisoned. Holy and
2: the and. The arc of the movie is that he discovers that it was wrong to wear blackface, but at no point does anyone acknowledge that it was also wrong to steal a scholarship from someone who it was for. Uh, and that it's not that, and that movie was made, and people paid American dollars to see it in the theater. So, and now we have Warnock in the Senate. So I. Submit to you.
1: And it won an Oscar, right? Situation It, like it was the first, uh, it was like Green Book, but slapstick.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 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 it won a BAFTA award. Um, <laughs> so I, I just,
1: su- you submit that we are getting better.
2: I submit to you that there are signs of progress.
1: Hell yeah. Soul Man is. Ah,
2: that movie could not be made today.
1: Well, first of all, you know the alt right, like Soul Man on Parlor, is blowing up. They like watch it. Like, have you actually like watched Soul Man? No, no, no. I mean, have you like watched Soul Man, <laughs> bro? Like, anyway, I just want to say, Parlor
2: being like that elitist going to Harvard and not Texas A and M or whatever.
1: Right. Um, I just want to pour one out for David Purdue and Kelly Leffler. Um, they will spend the rest of their days outsourcing american jobs to the lowest bidder and being married to the owner of the new york stock exchange so life isn't fair and um you know some of us will face consequences <laughs> just not them um also rafael warnock is just the 11th african-american senator ever in our democracy uh in the least Democratic institution, which is the Senate. So I feel like even when Democrats win, like we lose, like we won the Electoral College and the Senate. But like we still just battled for our lives to still be in a, a, a pit of snakes, you know, or like nah, like we're still in it. It's still fucked. Um, Soul Man, that's where I like to actually go off on. This was the week where... Twitter and Facebook decided they would finally boot their golden goose, Donald Trump, off their platform in a permanent suspension for, as they say, inciting and celebrating violence. Now? Now. Now inciting violence? Like, look, I'm all for it, but this definitely feels a little bit like when the Allies finally joined World War II. Like, you know, thanks, guys, but we really we could have used you back there, you know? Um, Trump has tried to get back onto Twitter by using other social media handles, other Twitter handles, in the online version of, like, putting uh, on Groucho Marx glasses and just calling yourself, you know, "Uh, my name is uh, Ronald Rumpf. I don't know why it's like a dog. Um, (laughs) That also sounded like a really racist, like, wannabe Chinese accent. I don't know why. Anyway, point is... (laughs) There are also many people online who are trying to shroud their low-key defense of fascism in the language of free speech, you know? Like, do you guys realize he's still the president for right now? And he's also, like, a massive celebrity. Like, he could give a press conference right now. Fox News would be happy to hear him ramble on for hours. Like, I'm pretty sure we don't need to be defending free speech rights of people who don't believe in human rights. Let's just, let's get there. Um, Finally, a lot of people saying that this will beef up the surveillance state and it'll be used to surveil the left. I'm pretty sure it's too late. Like, I don't know if you've been paying attention, um, but the problem in surveillance is the application. Like, if the surveillance state actually worked to help us, the FBI would have had files on the thugs who broke into the Capitol instead of files on the raging grannies, the grandmothers who sing folk songs against the war. I'm not joking. They have an FBI file. Like, that that whole argument is totally bogus to me. NATO, you missing Donald Trump? Uh,
2: you know, it feels like 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 uh, do, you, do you ever have that thing happen where like there's a buzzing sound and it's just, and like and then suddenly the sound goes off and you realize how quiet it is, <laughs> and you're like, oh man, this is nice. And it's and it's it it's like that right now on Twitter, yeah. except without with fewer Nazis threatening to murder me. You're
1: like, what was that? Oh, oh. I really. <laughs> Oh. Are there fewer Nazis threatening to uh, murder you, NATO?
2: Yeah, there's been a noticeable drop op- drop off in the number of Nazis threatening to murder me on t- on Twitter lately. Oh, that's great.
1: why I lost so many followers. Oh,
2: you—they were following you as the Nazis who want to murder me.
1: You know, sometimes you gotta hire some bots just mm-hmm. in case you get uppity, NATO Green. Um, no, it's it's very funny to see people telling on themselves when like there's this giant sweep of Nazis and bots off Twitter, and people are like I lost, I'm losing a thousand followers a, a minute. And you're like, oh my god, ay yeah yeah. NATO, are you ready to bring in our guest? Yeah, hell yeah. Um, we are talking about the white supremacist roots of the kind of insurrection we saw on Wednesday. Um, What the election uh, means, both of Biden and in the Senate, and where we need to go from here to make sure we don't see any of this ever again. This is the sitch. And joining us, he is a racial justice labor and international activist who is a former president of TransAfrica Forum, senior scholar with the Institute for Policy Studies, and an editorial board member of blackcommentator.com. His books, They Are Bankrupting Us, and and 20 Other Myths About Unions and Solidarity Divided are out now. Please welcome Bill Fletcher Jr.
0: Glad to be on.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I know you're up a little bit past your uh, your your pundit time. Uh, you're not a pundit, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Past. Well, so no, it's, you it's for
0: at a certain time I start turning on the TV, and I just like click off everything else. So we're cutting right now, into your binge watching. Well, exactly, and so I've been trying to, you know, my uh, Breaking Bad, which I I never saw the entire series, and so I'm watching
2: it. You know, I'm beginning to think that meth might not be all good. <laughs> I think that's a, one of the conclusions of the show.
0: <laughs> it's intense. It's intense. But anyway, look, I, I, I don't want to derail the discussion.
2: I should no. I should I should disclose to everybody so for, people should know that Bill and I have been friends for probably 20 years. That's uh, right. Bill has is is one of uh uh one of my uh, political mentors in my life. And when I was in my twenties, I would Bill was working at the AFL CIO, and I would so if you if you like things that I say, you can give Bill some credit. There are actually tracks on my last album that are inspired by conversations that I had with Bill. And uh, and if there are things that you don't like, don't blame him. But when I was in my 20s, <laughs> I would call Bill at the AFL-CIO. For, I would like be like, like, I was working as a messenger and I would be driving trucks around and I would call Bill from payphones with like, so, you know, I'd call Bill up and be like, Bill, you know, what do you think about, uh, you know, Mao's essay, Combat Liberalism. And he mm-hmm. would at the AFL CIO take my call and have a discussion <laughs> about like Marxist Leninist Mao Tse thought from a it's payphone. Same. He had the no person waiting to do for the that. payphone.
1: Yeah. The person waiting for the uh, payphone was
2: like, <laughs> 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 So he was like, Yo, I got to order a pizza. So uh, <laughs>
1: sat down, like was getting yeah. all fucking woke, just it's sitting been there. Great.
0: It really has been great. And uh, actually, I actually remember when I first met you. It was at an AFL-CIO convention, and we were talking about the work that you were doing, and it's been it's been a good relationship.
1: And all the dick jokes he was crafting. Well, um, at that point,
0: he was he was very serious. I mean, like really serious. And I don't I, I don't remember him like smiling much when when we first met. So when you made this move into comedy, not only am I proud of you, I was like kind of stunned.
1: Well, here's the thing about stand-up is that you don't actually have to smile. Your audience does. So Nato is able to continue what you remember of him, but it's the audience that is laughing smiling. It
2: turned turned out that I had to become a comedian to learn how to smile. What does that tell you? (laughs) Hey,
1: I hear it's Well, it's been a hard week to smile. Hey, how's that for a transition? Good segue, Um, bro. (laughs) Yep. Thank you. Uh, But Bill, I really wanted to talk to you because you wrote a a great piece after the election. Mm -hmm. um, And in it, you talk about, and one of the many points that you make is that there is a a mass movement on the right and Mm -hmm. that it has an armed wing, is what you explained, and that we can't ignore it. Um, And I think we saw that mass movement on display uh, on Wednesday. Um, What are Like, maybe just tell us more about the contours as you see it of that movement, and and we can begin to talk about how you even break it up. I think there's a lot of denial about the fact that there is even a right-wing movement. Well, you
0: know, that is what you just said is so incredibly important. um, That you're right, within the left, the broad left, there really has been a denial. And in fact, as we were going into the 2020 elections uh, earlier in the year, There was still a tendency to look at the elections as between two individuals, Biden and Trump, as opposed to understanding that Trump was a stand-in for this growing monster, this right-wing populist movement, so that we were actually running against a movement. Uh, This is a movement that is very dangerous, has a long history in the United States, and has become more and more rabid over the years as... They see the country changing as the as the grievances uh, that I would say it can be summarized in it doesn't pay to be white anymore uh, became more and more uh, part of what was driving this force.
1: And, or, it pays, or it pays equal to be white.
0: <laughs> well, no, you see, we'll see. The thing Francesca, they don't. They believe that they are. Be, they are the victims of what they call white genocide. It's not even just discrimination anymore. It's that th- these right-wing populists and fascists are in fact arguing that white people are being driven out of existence. I mean, it's, it's insane, uh, but we saw it and we saw this armed wing uh, make its, uh, make its uh, presence known. And one thing I want, I was listening earlier when you both were talking about what actually happened there. I think we have to be careful they, there were elements of those fascists that seemed very disorganized, but then there were others that were very well armed and seemed quite intent on bringing harm to the legislators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I think that uh, when I, I was listening to a uh, Nancy Pelosi talk on on sixty minutes earlier about the the fear in the staff when these fascists came into their offices and uh, were banging on doors. I think that um, they didn't quite know, some of them didn't quite know what they were going to do when it came in, but others, I think, had an intention to whack uh, or at least, well, whack and maybe string up and string away some of these legislators. Mm
2: -hmm. it's, It's been hard to like, I mean, The whole time, you know, to process the last four years because, um, and, and the last week is sort of a, a high watermark of that experience where it's like, there's tremendous suffering and consequence and horror that's, that is resulting from the politics of Trumpism. You know, five people, four people, uh, died, um, on Wednesday, um, Uh, You know, that the African-American woman was attacked in Los Angeles, um, just walking by a protest. Um, And, uh, you know, so there's like trying to reconcile. um, And at the same time, they seem incredibly stupid and embarrassing. And it's sort of hard to synthesize. Like, is it just like a super racist clown car or is it... You know, crystal knocked, as Arnold Schwarzenegger said today. Or is it somehow both? Like I don't, <coughs> you know. And and then what are the what is that? What are the implications of that analysis either way for what the strategy should be going forward?
0: Mm. I, I think it's a little bit of both, man. I, I think uh, I used uh, on an earlier interview today the reference to anarcho fascist and some of our anarchist friends might object to that. But I think that there really seriously, is. seriously, fuck
2: those people.
1: Uh, you
0: know, look, I, I think that.
1: Fuck <laughs> you that, right back, Nato. We'll talk about anarchism another time.
0: There, there are, the, the, the fascists that we're
2: dealing with. We can schedule uh, a meeting to talk about anarchism, but you wouldn't make it.
1: It's in the bonus content. Become a patron. <laughs> oh my God, Bill, please talk.
0: No, no, that's all right. I, see, these anarcho-fascists, They the, the, the anarchism there is not about disorganization. It's not even about lack of leaders. It's about a sort of um, apocalyptic view of what needs to happen in order to bring about change and to simply unleash this cataclysm. And and I think that that's what we're seeing in operation. These people are like the roaches that are under your uh, refrigerator at night. I mean, they've been there for years and they are now coming out. Uh, They are not centralized, but there is a level of networking and coordination, as we saw. And I think that the scarier part is that there was obviously an inside job on on the 6th. There was obviously some level of cooperation on the part of some elements of the Capitol Police and the staff. Uh, that we're dealing with. And and that's what makes us, I think, uh, particularly dangerous. And I think we should expect more uh, and various forms of terror from these people unless they are crushed. And that's what we have to insist. They need to be crushed. This is yeah. not about reaching across the aisle. This is not about making friends and making nice nights. They need to be crushed. And those who have collaborated with them need to be banished.
2: Yeah. And what does what is, what is them being crushed look like?
0: Um, I think uh, it means several things. One is uh, that they have to be prosecuted. Everyone that was, um, I mean, this is the stupidity of these clowns, right? They filmed everything that they were doing on the 6th. So, you know, identifying people is not going to be that difficult. Uh, So I think everyone that was involved in that needs to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Uh, People have to be banned from social media. Um, I think that there needs to be, and I know our First Amendment friends are going to object to this, but I think that there's going to have to be some serious discussion about what is on social media yeah. and the ability of people to lie and foment this kind of terror in the way that this happened.
1: Yeah, uh, and So I think that that's
0: part of what has to go down.
1: I think that's a really good point, And it's a it's a whole separate conversation. But I do just want to mention that we have an under we have a, a misunderstanding of the Internet. Uh, we think that the Internet is is just like we think that our government is a democracy, just that, like we think the state is um, is neutral, mm-hmm. that if you just put good people in there, everything will change completely without fundamentally changing the structure itself. And I think that's wrongheaded. So I wouldn't ever say that, you know, um, that without change, our democracy is perfect. uh, Just as I wouldn't say without change, our internet is somehow perfect or democracy allows for a plurality of voices women, people of color, especially queer people get brutalized and, and harassed and bullied. And they have been, and you'll hear that the loudest voices who are saying that this is about free speech are always white men, straight white men. So let's just not get that dude. I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. Name NATO green. Yeah. But I want to just say, um, Bill with, with all this, uh, you know, not sort of no middle ground and not working with them. I'm feeling that like, I'm feeling that really, really strongly. And and in the same way that I've always felt like the Democrats um, should not, that bipartisanship is overrated, um, mm-hmm. I don't think that we need to be reaching out to these people. But what what you're seeing is there's a certain narrative right now that uh, these people were the working class. These are the disaffected, left behind, snubbed by Democratic neoliberal working class Um even though there was a tech CEO, a son of a Brooklyn judge, a indie rocker, a like, uh, you know, uh, an elected official, like, even though they they definitely weren't working class, but there is such a an um, a drive to try and empathize with with Trumpism as oh, this is the working class that we've forgotten. What's your response to that, even as it comes from the left?
0: I think it's a misanalysis. Um, That whether you're looking at the uh, Tea Party or you look at Trump's base, um, it's not the poor, it's not the white poor. It tends to be, in both cases, more people that are middle income, who are feeling crushed by both the poor and the rich, who are fearing what will happen, as opposed to experiencing the collapse. Um, there was this, there was a uh, in the 2016 election. There was this um, discussion that was going on in the Teamsters Union, and I was privy to this exchange where this one guy. For the who, listeners
2: who are not familiar with the labor movement, the Teamsters Union is a very uh, uh, famous union of, of people who uh, drive horse and buggies.
0: Uh, you're right, <laughs> and and in this case, uh, it was some people from the railroad industry. And and this one guy writes to his leader, um, I'm not going to be voting uh, for Hillary Clinton. I'm going to be voting for Trump um, because I'm voting for the future of my son. Now, this was not a poor, impoverished white worker. This was not someone who was unemployed. This is someone who was making a very decent income. And he was deciding he was going to vote for his son's future on my back. That's what he was saying, and that's what we have to understand. That that this and this is one of the reasons that I think that this whole idea about Trump as a spokesperson for the white worker is completely missing what the reality is out there.
1: Yeah.
2: Can I uh, the you know one of the things that we've talked about um, on on the show is that like as the the sort of Right wing, the you know of like the the white base of the Republican Party has shrunk. They've come to terms with the fact that they have no path to an electoral majority, and the only way they can win is by cheating and installing a sort of permanent apartheid. And mm-hmm. just play out that analogy, um, and you know, based on your life and work, are there lessons that you think are relevant to this moment from uh, South Africa?
0: Well, let me put it in reverse. The thing in South Africa is the demographics. uh, That you were starting with a black majority country where there was a settler colony imposed upon it that numerically was never matching the uh, African population. So I think people have to always keep that in mind. But I think that what you're saying is, is very important, NATO, that the vision of these right-wing populists is actually a neo-apartheid system. That's what they're looking for here. And, and one of the reasons that we should pay attention to this is that although the right-wing populists, including the fascists, um, have uh, are white supremacists, there's different variations among them. And so some of them, are actually willing to accommodate people of color, at least some people of color. They're willing to make uh, and offer uh, many Latinos and Latinas a space at the table to declare them to be white as long as those Latinos and Latinas accept subordination to the white republic. Mm -hmm. They're willing to accept some African Americans as long as those African Americans, again, accept subordination to the white republic. And, and so one of the things that was central in South Africa was a politics of anti-racism. And that's one of the things that we have to understand. In the United States, we're not going to be able to defeat the right-wing populace by simply appealing to the economic interests of the base. We're going to have to both have a critique of neoliberal economics, a critique of what's happening to most working people in this country, but at the same time, be very clear, absolutely clear about the racial dynamics of what's going on, that there is a exactly. racial differential that yeah. needs to be taken on and destroyed.
1: Yeah. I really, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I think that, um, you know, we forget when we talk about the working class, I think people just tack on white, like subconsciously
2: forgetting
1: right. that, Black and brown populations in this country, native populations are also and make up, you know, in terms of proportionally um, in their Mm -hmm. populations, a greater number of the working class. So we forget that, you know, working class. Um, I want to ask you about like driving a wedge, you know, so my Max Albaum, who's been on the show and and, you know, your comrade and our comrade, he talks a lot about driving the wedge in the elites Mm-hmm. And driving the wedge between – and Democrats driving – I think right now it's a good time to drive a wedge between moderate Republicans and, you know, mm-hmm. Ted Cruz and his facial hair. Uh, so You,
2: you, you probably – like t- today, uh, uh, Citibank announced they were going to stop making political contributions to Republicans because of who supported challenging the vote.
1: hmm It's – I mean, yeah. Citibank's evil, but it's like that is – that's a wedge that's a win. My question is, how do you drive a wedge in white people? How do you drive a, wet, a wedge in whiteness? And then I say that three times fast. But like, they're so good at tricking actual like working class or middle class people into voting for billionaire tax breaks that never benefit them. How do you drive that wedge in the working cl- in the working class? Or excuse me, in the in the white people? They they're so good at driving the wedge into the working class. How do you drive a wedge in, into white people?
0: Well, um, there's no easy answer to that. And it's something that we've been that many of us have been grappling with. But I would say this: that my focus is on winning workers, and that includes, but is not limited to, white workers. And one of the things that I say in every uh, anti-racist forum that I uh, engage in, or with workers, is that white workers have to understand that they have a material interest in opposing racism. And that one of, the, one of the problems is that many of us actually think the opposite and
1: mm-hmm. think
0: that white workers actually don't have an interest. And so we end up appealing to them on moral basis, moralistic basis. Um, I, I, I have experienced that you demonstrate that white workers, to white workers, they have a material interest. You show the way that unfairness, racial unfairness, has an impact on workers and an impact on them. I, just, I'll give you an example that I always cite. I used to be a shipyard worker, a welder, and uh, where I worked, there on third shift, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., um, there was a, uh, uh, a habit that had existed for years, and the habit was: after you did your work, you could go to sleep. Literally, just, but not like on the deck in, in the open. You just. A, Go hide out somewhere, and you can go to sleep, and that was accepted for years. One day, the company decided to change that rule, that behavior, and what did they do? They came in one night and they fired several African American and Puerto Rican workers, no white workers. And they understood, and it was it was it was brilliant. It was a brilliant move on their part because the leadership of the union was very backward. And they knew that the leadership of the union was going to look at this as only a problem of these Black and Puerto Rican workers, as opposed to understanding what the company was trying to do. They were changing a behavior by racializing it, and they moved forward. Now, fortunately, there were a group of us that fought this successfully. Mm -hmm. But that's my point, that to the extent that the white workers saw that as that's only a problem for the African-Americans and Puerto Ricans, well, it was going to be hard to win them. To yeah. the extent that they then understood, wait a minute, this is not just like them. This is all of us. It's it's opening people's eyes through practice and then hopefully getting to a point where you can actually engage in education. And that's a lot of what I'm doing these days, doing educationals and unions.
1: I think it's so clear with Georgia. I mean, there was this... You know, they're like black voters save Georgia. I mean, save the country. Black voters in Georgia save the country. Black and, and Latinx voters save the country. And without sounding, without that being paternalistic or condescending, I think that's very true, mm-hmm. um, especially when you look at something like a $2,000, you know, stimulus check to every, every American making under 75,000, whatever, like that is huge. That can be the difference between you Mm -hmm. surviving and not, it's not enough. There needs to be so much more, um, that needs to happen. I think the anti-racist point is super interesting and important. I feel like Democrats for too long have been into multiracial democracy and -hmm. multiracial democracy and is not the same as anti-racist democracy so how does that yeah i mean pick up from there nato or
2: yeah i was i mean just like the how do you navigate sort of the difference between like a a genuine anti-racist politics and sort of what is the superficial politics of representation
0: um i i think that the genuine anti-racist politics is also class politics it's it's about power it's about shifting the real balance in this country It's not just about representation, as important as representation is. The representation is insufficient because you can have, as this planet is demonstrating, a refined capitalism, which is quite multiracial, but is very repressive, if not authoritarian. And so I think it's important that we understand that genuine anti-racism is not simply eliminating uh, various kinds of biases, and changing individual behavior. It really is systemic. So anti-racism needs to be connected to understanding the way capitalism works. And when and this is one of the reasons, Nato, that I you know, break out in hives when people talk about diversity trainings. Because my experience is that most diversity trainings are done in the absence of history and they're more focused on behavior between individuals as opposed to understanding the way that the system operates. My experience is that when you actually introduce history and you talk about the construction of race and capitalism, that is when I see the lights go on in the eyes of countless white people that I've been in front of. Yeah. That's why I'm actually optimistic.
2: Can you, I mean, I I wanted to ask you about the the more more general question about about Mm -hmm. being optimistic because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to bum you out on a Sunday night right before you're about to go start your binge watching but I, I don't I mean, know. If breaking, you,
1: I, depends on which episode of Breaking Bad yeah, you're at. Bill. I don't know
2: if you realize this, uh, but this country has done some bad things to black people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know.
0: Oh yeah. As a matter of fact.
2: As a matter of fact, like it's like it's a, a pretty undefeated run of doing bad bad things to black people, and um, uh, and and so it's like you know. The I feel like some of the you know what you were talking about earlier as the like the white genocide fear mm-hmm. is there's some level of projection of like what you know white folks assuming that that a a a, a multiracial a genuine multiracial society that you know people will see, people of color will seek revenge right. um, and yeah. do to them what what white folks have done for the last four hundred years yeah. and so it's like. I, I just I mean I sort of wonder how you how you anchor your politics and in, in in a sense of optimism uh, knowing like without how you hold both the optimism that that uh, you know the optimism of the will with the knowing the carnage of the history
0: because I've seen people change that's why I've seen people that um, I would have, uh, assumed otherwise um change mm. um and that i mean going back to when i first got into the working class when i was doing uh work in a shipyard and i encountered i mean look i went to harvard i was trained to run the world right i mean that's what harvard is supposed to be about
2: you got one of those
1: man have you been
0: <laughs> did you, did you you get one you of go. those <laughs> no actually i didn't i didn't but um but, you can know, go to these Ivy League and that's what it is, right? And then I went into a shipyard and it was a humbling experience. Um, and I learned a hell of a lot. And I watched the contradictions within the working class. People who would at, at one point uh, be quite racist and then all of a sudden do something amazing, outstanding. Uh, people that were inconsistent. Um, and then other people that stepped forward and, and were real fighters. So I've seen that happen, that's what gives me the optimism. The other part is that I think that we're at a, a very uh, unusual moment in history where we're seeing the coming together these tectonic plates of the uh, environmental crisis and economic crisis, which is forcing people to rethink a lot. So that's at the level of youth, The large numbers of youth, forty to fifty percent, that are open to alternatives to capitalism—I mean, this is this is quite Um, remarkable—and so I think that the conditions are there for this openness, but the conditions are there also for authoritarian solutions, and 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 I think we saw evidence of that uh, this past week.
1: I mean, we haven't mentioned in this interview, but I, and there's so much to talk about Bill and I don't want to keep you forever, but I do just want to say that I think it was really stark to have the end of the Trump administration be marked by this. I mean, let, God, let's hope it's the end. Mm-hmm. Um, after a summer when BLM demonstrators, peaceful demonstrators were bludgeoned, I mean, mm-hmm. just the full weight of the state and all kind of machinery, militarized machinery coming out against them. And, um, and And yet this is, that was a movement. That movement's not going away. There is a countervailing force. um, And there is a a possibility to actually make some of that anti-racist, you know, well wishes and Mm -hmm. uh, changing our Amazon home pages into real policy. Um, I'm wondering where you stand on that just concretely, like in the next four years under Biden, I know you're not, you're a, you're a broader thinker than that, but but maybe making it more concrete, like where do you see the biggest openings when it comes to um, reform of the criminal justice system or policing? I'll
2: put Is it, like it this- possible to get to dictatorship or the proletariat by Thanksgiving?
0: <laughs> uh, unlikely, but it's all it's all possible, right? Um, well, let me put let me answer you in this way. I, I think that the Green New Deal. Is what needs to be priority number one, um, and that we need to push the uh, the Biden-Harris administration uh, intensely because the Green New Deal is not just about the environment; it's about economic redevelopment. Yeah, it's about jobs, it's about equity, um, it is about a number of things, and we are in a, in a planetary catastrophe, and we need to really. Push on this. I think that the Black Lives Matter movement has raised many, many issues around police behavior and uh, police brutality. This has to be translated into very specific reforms. So, people raising slogans like Defund the Police and Abolish the Police, the way I look at it, those are slogans. What I'm more interested in is program. What's the actual program for demilitarizing the police, for rethinking policing? For reallocating resources because there's no planet on this, uh, no no country on this planet, to my knowledge, that has no police. Hmm. So the question then is what do we want from policing? What do we want from criminal justice? Uh, You know, I'm sort of uh, a Richard Pryorist. You know, as he said in Live in the Sunset Strip, uh, yeah, well, there's reasons that there's jails, and there's some people that need to be locked up. And I think that we saw a lot of them this past Wednesday. Oh, shit.
2: So you subscribe to M- Marxist-Leninist Richard Pryor's thought?
1: That,
0: yeah, more or less.
1: <laughs> I have one final question. Please. Which, I mean, and Nato, if you have one final question as well. But my my thoughts are, um, we're already seeing it. The left um, and Democrats, despite the squad growing um, Representative Cory Bush, Representative Jamal Bowman, Mondaire Jones, Mm -hmm. like reasons to be excited. We're already seeing um, some of the left kind of tear itself apart, especially online. It's not a good place to be. Um, And with Biden, you know, as as I think many have agreed, it's a fragile coalition that voted him in. It's going to be a fragile moment for the left in order to, Mm -hmm. to, to make some real gains. What are your thoughts on what the left needs to be doing in the next four? I mean, beyond the Green New Deal and like those things, but just like almost like life hack advice for leftists in the next four years and where we need to be focused and where we do not need to be focused.
0: So there's a lot that happens online that is absolutely ridiculous. And it is, um, it is representative of people that have no base, uh, that are doing very little, but are really interested in tearing others down. Um, I think what we have to be doing, the central thing is building organization. Mm. Um, So building organization is a critical thing. In the absence of organization, we will get cream. So we need to build organization and we need to be thinking about how to fight for power. And when I'm talking about fighting for power, I don't mean uh, fighting for uh, the dictatorship of the proletariat, uh, NATO, or of, of, of other forms of socialism yeah,
2: we were so close. I mean
0: right now we need to be fighting for what's called governing power we need to be fighting to win control of states and cities and and that's what we that's where we can make some real breakthroughs you know i i, I was uh, a number of years ago i was giving a talk in texas and so uh, you know after i finished talking people were one after another telling me about how bad the situation was in Texas, it was hopeless. So I listened to them and then I, uh, they said, well, what do you think? And I said, okay, um, how do we take over Texas? And they looked at me as if I was nuts. You know, I've been smoking something. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I said, I'm serious. If the question that we're asking is not how do we take over Texas, then we should just like drink the Kool-Aid and call it a day. Because we've got to be thinking in Texas, what are the key cities? What are the key counties? What are the essential social movements? What counties do we not need? Who are the key opinion makers? I had a similar discussion a few weeks after, or right after the election, with some activists in Florida. And, and really, you know, younger, really excited. And they said, Bill, what should we do? I said, figure out how to take over Florida.
1: Mm-hmm. They said, yes. Sure.
0: And I said, that's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to develop strategies and figure out how do we build the necessary alliances. And see, this is one of the things, Francesca, that scares a lot of people on the left. Building alliances. Because when you build alliances, it gets murky. I'm involved right now in work around this cause involving uh, the Western Sahara. Northwest Africa is controlled by Spain. Most of it is occupied by Morocco. And the indigenous people are fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of the oddest things I've ever been in in my life because there's Republicans that are involved, that are interested in this and and oppose the Moroccans. Well, there's friends of mine on the left that would never touch this issue because it's not pure. When you deal with real politics, it's not pure. There's all kinds of complicated analyses. And that's why a lot of people on Twitter, in my opinion, are full of shit they're basically just posting things because they're not engaged in the real work that is necessary. If you're going to bring about change.
1: Right. Yes.
2: Uh, Is is there, is there time for me to get one more question? So just, uh, just to, just to, just to wrap it up, um, Bill, you know, a lot of our, you, you spent your, your most of your adult working life in the labor movement. And most of our listeners do not have firsthand experience with the labor movement. Mm -hmm. And, um, what, one, uh, one time you said to me that you told me a story about how when you were a teenager, you read the autobiography of Malcolm X and you said, and then I knew what I needed to do with my life and mm-hmm. you marched into the working class and never left. And you committed your life to being a trade unionist as a black person, knowing all of the various ways that racism is alive and well, in the American labor movement, um, and the ways it is disappointed as a vehicle for racial justice, um, and so, could you just just for people who are who are coming at it, or who might be interested or curious, but don't have firsthand experience, why should people think about the strategic importance of the labor movement for social change and for racial justice specifically?
0: Because in the unions, there is a a, a reservoir of power that the unions bring together workers in a way that is unique, unlike almost any other institution, you have men and women, you have people of different so-called races or ethnicities that are there. Um, and it's in that environment that people can begin to dream about what could happen. Uh, and and for, for me, what was really striking, and I was very inspired by uh, Dr. Yurt Gnir, who was a chairman of Afro-American studies at Harvard when I was there, the father of Lonnie Gunnar? And he was a former trade unionist. And, and it wasn't just the way he taught Afro- African-American studies, but it was his, his insistence that the unions were a vehicle, a potential vehicle, that African-Americans and other racially oppressed peoples could utilize, not simply for wages, hours, and working conditions, but in order to address these broader forms of oppression, the more I studied, the more I saw that there was ample evidence that this not only was a possibility, but that it had happened at various points in U S history. I wanted to be part of making sure that that happened as we went forward.
1: We have to leave it there. Um, and I just want to encourage everyone. Uh, Bill Fletcher jr. Has talks on YouTube online. You can go to his website. Um, blackcommentator.com as well. Um, there's just so much good writing you've put out there, Bill. Thank you thank for you. guiding us, for being a mentor to so many, for being having that optimism um, because we really need it and we need folks like you. So I'm so so grateful you stopped by.
0: It's it's really been my pleasure. And, and just one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about is that I actually have a novel, uh, a mur- political murder mystery called The Man Who Fell from the Sky – and uh, I would encourage people to take a look at it. If you're into mysteries, this mixes race, justice, revenge. takes place in 1970, and it's situated among Cape Verdean Americans in Massachusetts. Wow. So, you know. Love
1: it. The man yeah. who fell from the sky.
0: That's right. Exactly.
1: Check that out, everyone. All right. All right, Bill, take good care. Thank
0: you. Thank you very much. Please
1: come back soon. Woo! That was so good. We're going to go into our final segment just to lift us up out of this muck um, and just the seriousness and get very non-serious but also kind of serious because I think if we learned one thing about watching that mob on Wednesday, it was that, um, you know, people need more schooling. Stop relying on Facebook for your news, okay? Uh, This is a segment we've done once before, bringing it back in my re-education camp. This is the segment that will get uh, me under fire from people like Lou Dobbs to be like, see, she advocates for violent socialism. And um, they're wrong because in my re-education camp, first of all, we did this once. And when last time I was like, people who like wring out their sponges completely and like knowing where stuff is in the fridge and all these like really light things, you know, a year later, however many, three hundred and seventy thousand americans dead later i'm like just anything dude just how about your how about the abcs bro how about just wear a mask how about just wearing them how to put on a mask no but i i truly feel that one of the things we need to fight for is tuition-free college and and it's like and we can start with state schools um and local schools and and Um, But, like, we need to start. We need to start fucking somewhere. People need to go to college. People need to meet other people outside of their hometown and study critical race theory and economic theory. You know, get to know a Marxist professor. Be radicalized. Be politicized. March for a cause. Like, Get fingered in the quad, the whole thing. Get get fingered... Dude, that was in high school. But the point is, is that... (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason why Republicans hate college. They hate it. They hate the intellectual elite. It's because an education leads to a greater understanding of democracy, and they fucking hate that. They don't want this country to be an actual democracy. We all need tuition-free college. That's my re-education camp. It's just a bunch of bell hooks books.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. All lowercase. What about you, NATO?
2: (laughs) Oh. Um, uh, uh i so i didn't um i uh, i didn't have enough time to prepare for this uh here's my my re-education camp is (laughs) fucking walking outside uh just go for a walk in some trees preferably uh be like
1: it's like a little track people just like walk outside
2: just just be able to walk outside in, in in trees. There's a there's a park near my house in San Francisco that has a loop, uh, a two mile loop uh, through the trees called the it's called the a philosopher's walk, and like at different intervals, it's um there's like plaques about uh about like d- different great philosophers through history, uh, uh and like. How they used going on walks to like have their biggest intellectual breakthroughs. So fucking go for a walk, man.
1: Have an intellectual breakthrough.
2: Have an intellectual like, breakthrough.
1: Maybe equality doesn't mean I'll have less. It means it'll be equal. Yeah.
2: <sighs> Maybe I don't have less if other people have the same. Uh <laughs> I uh yeah like
1: brain, recently, trap, no, recently, brain like, trap no brain trap no brain trap no
2: like I'm home all day I'm stuck in home I'm like stressed out and like doom scrolling and freaking out and depressed and then I like go for a walk I'm like near a tree I smell some mulch or whatever it's like oh man things there's a whole life cycle and a universe and ecosystem and I really gotta- so
1: to help with that I just think everyone in my re-education camp should have a little bit of shrooms just a little bit. Not a lot of it, a little bit, you know, because then that mulch will start talking like I love you. You know, it'll be great.
2: Uh yeah, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not I'm, like I'm personally not that interested in shrooms, but that's fine if if that's part of your re education camp. I won't fight you on it.
1: Oh, you won't, not with all them shrooms. Yeah. <laughs> NATO Green, thank you so much for being here. Um, where Good can deal. people find your work?
2: Uh, Hey, everybody. Check me out at NATO Green on Twitter, Mr. NATO Green on Instagram, although these days it's mostly pictures of my food and drinking um, and my walks. Uh, uh, Also, both of my albums, are uh, the NATO Green Party and the Whiteness album, are available wherever comedy can be streamed and downloaded. But... The best place to get them is a band camp because that's where I get the most money. So please do that. Thank you. Bye.
1: Thank you so much NATO, for being with us. Once again, love you. Take good care of yourself and your drinks and your walks and your food. <laughs> I love it. You need, yeah. If you want to just chill out, go on NATO's Instagram. It's pretty good. Ask him about his recipes. And thank you all for being here. Thank you for your super chats. Thank you for the new patrons who I assume have become patrons in this hour and change. Have you? Have you? Mm -hmm. You can do that at patreon.com slash room. If you like this show, if you want more of this show, someone said that they wish this show was more than once a week, maybe it will be in the future if we get more support and uh, we can make this more of a sustainable thing, um, that would be great. And thank you so much to my producer, Becca Roofer and to Dorsey Shaw and Kelly Carey on the other side of YouTube, making sure these clips get zipped up and are accessible and interesting and funny. Um, and finally, remember don't just bitch about it, be about it. Fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and uh, always remember to have a good laugh despite how bad everything is.
0: We're an totally insane.
1: They push me on, pace me. Animated, those are the best. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth, for everything you've done to make this bad time a little bit brighter. Thank you and your fragile white self. All right, y'all. Be good.